Well, this morning we want to look at the first story in this summer series that we are calling the ongoing story of God's glory. And, and just so you know ahead of time, if you didn't already, this is like our, we're, we're doing a story this morning and, and then I'm actually not preaching for three Sundays. So we're going to do this story, then we're taking a three-week break and then we're coming back to it. Um, I'm going to be in Israel for the next couple of Sundays. And then the third Sunday, um, I'm, I'm traveling on my way home and getting home you know, closer to the end of that week. So next Sunday, you're going to hear from Jim Green. Jim has been doing some study uh, around the Dead Sea Scrolls and the significance that, that they are to, to our understanding of the Scripture and how they, they validate our Scripture, which is a validation of, of our faith Uh, I think you're really in for a treat as Jim brings that. And then the following Sunday, um, retired pastor friend who teaches with Chad and with my wife uh, from Faith is going to be here. That'll be on July the 9th. And then on July 16th, uh, our very own Justin Levette is going to preach his first sermon. And uh, quite frankly, I, I hope it's one of many more to come. So be praying for these folks as they are, are preparing for these next three Sundays. So let's get started this, this morning. Last Sunday, I told you that the, the largest percentage of the scripture uh, is narrative uh, stories, uh, consists of stories that, and I think, I think, frankly, that makes a whole lot of sense because to be human is to love stories. We love stories. I mean, stories just appear in, in all cultures. Every culture around the world has, has their stories, stories of, of love and, and romance and intrigue and, and stories that include the twists of, of life, the ups and the downs of life that, that are very much a part of our daily lives. And so stories in the scripture are also a part of a larger story. That story has as its primary purpose just want to remind you of, of what we've said because it's kind of the ground rules. Part of the ground rules for our series is that the story of Scripture reveals the glory of God. Reveals the glory of God. It reveals His loving, redeeming character. And we talked for just a few minutes last Sunday about the inspiration of Scripture. What does that mean? The Greek word is, is God-breathed. Scripture has its origin in God. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he wrote this. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, what's interesting, and I think worth noting, is that when Paul wrote that, it was in the first century AD, and he was referring to the Old Testament. It's the only portion of the canon that existed at that time. So when he says all Scripture, he has in mind the Old Testament and all that is there, the stories that are given to God's people and given to us so that we may be people who are thoroughly equipped as servants of the Most High in this life. And so in the narratives of Scripture, we learn about God and we learn about ourselves. We learn about humanity. As I told you last Sunday, I, I think the stories in Scripture can invite each one of us into them to find ourselves in those stories. And so last Sunday, I sent you home with, with a couple of questions. What do I learn about the brokenness of humanity in this story? What do I learn about God? What does the story reveal about his character that I appreciate and that, quite honestly, 
Maybe it makes me struggle a little bit. They're important questions. We want to ask those about every story that we read in this series through the summer because they, they can help us remember, they can bring us back to the larger story of God's redemption. The theme of the Bible from start to finish. The smaller stories within the larger story. They are always there to point us to the main character being God. Always, always. And so I'll try to remember to present you with, with those questions at the end of, of each of our sermons so that you can, you can go home and, and be reading the new story and, and remembering to, to be asking those questions. So this morning, I want to spend some time in the story of Joseph, ironically, the uh, story that we spent a lot of time in at uh, Royal Family this week, the story of Joseph. It is a huge story, as you probably know. Uh, it's the longest, well, yeah, it's probably tied with the, uh, the story of Abraham in the Old Testament for, for the longest story around just like one individual in you know related family. It's filled, as you probably know if you're familiar with the story, filled with an abundance of, of brokenness and, uh, and redemption. Um, our text this morning is found at the end of the Joseph story. And my suspicion is, is that these will probably be familiar words to many of you. If, if you know the Joseph story, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the, the glorious end um, as, we, uh, as we plow through that story. So let me just remind you of some significant things. I'm assuming that for most of us, the Joseph story is familiar. But let me give you some context out of which then we read our text for this morning. Joseph was a 17-year-old boy, the second youngest of 12 sons, born to Jacob. Joseph was sold into slavery by his 10 older brothers, and he ended up in the land of Egypt. About 13 years later, Joseph became the right-hand man to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, which at that point was probably the most powerful country in the known world. Then about nine to ten years after that, as a result of Joseph's kindness to them all, his father and his brothers and their families, they all moved to Egypt, you remember, to be saved from our famine. So our, our text is difficult to date precisely in terms of Joseph's life and all those events, but, but it seems likely that about seven to eight years after the whole family has moved to Egypt, which means about 40 years after Joseph had been sold as a slave, our story takes place or our, or our conversation takes place because Jacob, the patriarch, the father of the family, has just recently died. So let's stand together and read this conversation between Joseph and his brothers. Together. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. 
I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. (laughs) Is that just great? Oh my gosh, it's just so real. So real. So, Don, can we put that next slide up? Joseph said to them, as we just read, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So, I just want you to talk with your neighbor for a couple minutes. What does Joseph's response reveal to us about what he believes about God? And how does it affect his actions? See what your neighbor thinks. Okay. Man, there's a lot of buzzing in here. You've got a lot of good things to say about this, I can tell. Who wants to start us off? What do you think? What came up as you talked with your neighbor? God has a plan. And even if it's weird to us, like it doesn't make sense. This is how he's accomplishing his plan, even if it seems weird. Doesn't make sense to us. What else? What else came up? Doug? What do you think? He doesn't respond to those two questions, but. Oh, well, we can't listen to it then. <laughs> big picture guy. Yeah. Maybe remembering back to the dreams that he'd had. Yeah. Matt, you were going to say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Wouldn't have made sense at all. Sure. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like that. What else? Anyone else want to add to it? Yeah, yeah, please, Mark. You think so? And and interestingly enough, that the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation does just that. It hasn't gone to his head. 
Oh, but there is someone far greater <laughs> than me in this place. Yeah, yeah. Karen, go ahead. <clears throat> Wait, you mean Joseph wasn't a perfect person? Ah. Na 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 na. We've come to know. Yeah. Good, good. I like that. I like that. Absolutely. I think that's a huge part of it, that we come to know God in his faithfulness and his goodness, despite, ah, okay, yeah, that's another great perspective, God's blessing in his life, yeah, despite all of the the twists and turns of getting to that point, yeah, good observations, good observations, It's, it's interesting to me that in the narrative of what would seem to be about 50 years of Joseph's life, there's not much that is told us about his, his day-to-day relationship with God. I just find that fascinating. We're not, we're not privy to conversations that he had with God, like, like Abraham or, or even like his own father Jacob had, for instance. Or we, don't, we don't see actions of Worship doesn't mean that they weren't there, but we don't see them like making a sacrifice, setting up a, an Ebenezer, a stone reminder of God's faithfulness and goodness. But there is no doubt that Joseph had a keen awareness of God in his life. And he was confident that God was working in the circumstances, good and bad, to accomplish purposes with significant outcomes. Joseph's life and and the lives of of many others. If we were to sum Joseph's relationship up to God in in a word, I I think it has to be the word trust. He had come to know God and he trusted God in the circumstances. So what I want to do for just a few minutes together is to think back through a few of the, the serious negative events in his life. There, there's a lot more to the story. We just don't have the time to take every piece of it apart. But to think back through a few of the serious negative events that, that fit under the category of those things that God intended for good. And then let's see if we can possibly find ourselves in any of those circumstances. First of all, as we know, Joseph was sold by his brothers. Joseph was sold by his brothers. How much of a jerk did he have to be to be sold by his brothers? Or maybe he wasn't that big of a jerk, but his brothers were big jerks. We know for sure that they were incredibly envious. And we know that their first plan was to kill him. If you remember the story, let's kill him and be rid of the dreamer. They were offended by those dreams that God had given him. Now, I don't know how bright Joseph was to go telling his brothers and flaunting his favorite coat, perhaps. You know, and quite frankly, I think Joseph or Jacob was a bit of an idiot. He made it no secret that he favored Joseph over all of his other brothers, older brothers, 
because they were the children of his favorite wife. You remember he had two. The other ten boys came from his less favorite wife and her maid. Can you say screwed up family? (laughs) Big time. If we don't read the Joseph story and think, holy cow, that family is messed up. We are missing a big piece of the picture. Who does God use to accomplish his plans in this world? Screwed up people. Oh, constantly at work. You know, and I think that some of us can probably find ourselves in the Joseph story at this point, coming from from messed up families where, where you've experienced the pain of rejection and betrayal in maybe much the same way that, that Joseph did. I can remember my oldest son, Jordan, wanting to take Jeremy back to the hospital. But he was only two years old when he you know, hatched that plan, and so it really wasn't anything serious at that point. But the brokenness that is a part of so many of the families of origin that people grow up in. You know, my theory on families is that every family is dysfunctional. It's just that some are dangerously dysfunctional and others are safely dysfunctional. But every family is dysfunctional because every person in the family is broken and the brokenness is what shapes us. It it molds us. It it impacts us. Joseph played into that and his father played into that and the brothers were a part of that and it was a mess. Some of us can relate to those feelings of betrayal and, and, and rejection and maybe some disastrous kinds of things that came as a result of those. And so what I want to ask you is, if you can relate, have you surrendered those things to God? Have you laid those things down to God? Are you willing to go deep enough with God that that you trust in his redemption of a broken situation? Do you you believe that he can redeem that? Now, I'm not saying that, that Joseph was perfect by any stretch. He wasn't. I'm sure he probably had some pretty harsh feelings, and he might have even had some harsh words as he was sitting in that pit or when he was handed over to the Midianites standing there probably in disbelief that for 20 pieces of silver, his brothers were shipping him off to another country and had hatched a plan to lie to their father to cover up what they had done. I'm guessing he might have thought and even expressed some less than charitable things about his brothers at that point. But somewhere along the way, he surrendered it to God. And he trusted that God was present even in those lousy, painful, broken circumstances. Because when he became 
the second highest ruler in the land, and as Matt said, could have had them killed in an instant. He did not. In fact, did you catch that part in the text that tells us he wept? He wept when he received their message. He trusted God with with the bitter pain of family rejection and betrayal. And and God not only redeemed the situation, but but I think he he gave Joseph a heart that was tender and, and loving towards his brothers who had sold him out all those years ago. My friends, that is what our redeeming God can do. Do we find ourselves in the Joseph story at that point, struggling with betrayal and rejection and the pain of that from, from some situation that, that we may have had a part of or that was out of our control? Have, have we surrendered that to God? Have we, have we put ourselves into the story with Joseph and, and begin to understand and trust in his Sovereignty over those circumstances and his redemption. There's another hugely negative event um, that that happened. You remember the the false accusation made by Potiphar's wife. Remember when Joseph first got to Egypt, he was was a servant in in Potiphar's household, the captain of of the Egyptian army or the royal guard. Uh, and, And his wife liked what she saw when Joseph was in the house. She was a scoundrel. Joseph was upright, and, and you remember the story. He resisted her temptations, and by golly, he even witnessed to her. He reminded her that his master Potiphar trusted him, and she was his master's wife. And Joseph said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, I'm guessing that since it was her idea, and he referred to it as wicked, she probably didn't appreciate that a whole lot. And you remember probably the results. She went to her husband and accused Joseph of, the Hebrew says, trying to make sport of me. And Potiphar had Joseph thrown into prison. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Wrongly accused. Totally undeserving of what happened to him. I'm guessing that he spent some time wondering what in the world just happened to me. He's, he's a young man at that point. He's probably no more than about 18 years old. Here he was trying to do the right thing and to honor the Lord. And this is what he gets in return? Come on, God. And I think if we're honest, some of us will find ourselves here in the Joseph story. Ever been falsely accused? By someone, have you ever been treated unfairly? Have you ever been punished for something that that you did not do? Gosh, do you ever remember as if you're parent with youngsters, you, you punished a kid and you were wrong? That is the most humbling experience in the world to have to say to your child, I was wrong, I really blew it. Well, these folks weren't saying that they were wrong and they weren't apologizing for what they did. So there was, there was no sense of, of satisfaction in Joseph's life. <clears throat> you live your life, you want to bring honor to our Lord in your words and your actions, and, 
And yeah, sure, maybe you, you, don't, you don't do it perfectly. None of us does. But, but really, Lord, you, you allow these things to happen to me when I'm trying to honor you and do the right thing? Then we read in the story at that point, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. God was right there with Joseph in that prison. I think that's so important for us to remember because the temptation in the hard times, especially when when we've really been trying to, to live a righteous life and to honor him in our actions and our words and then the bottom falls out and we feel like, well, this is a pretty crummy reward for for what I've been living and and the temptation is to just kind of go to the next step and think, well, evidently God has just forgotten me. Here I am, working away, trying to be faithful and, and now this, like I really deserved it. Scripture tells us The Lord was with him. And again, it's an invitation to us to come into the story and to recognize that in those times when it's dark and we have been treated unfairly and it just doesn't feel like what we deserve, God is with us. He is with us in that place. And he is at work in us through those circumstances. Do we recognize that? And, and are we willing to, to trust him? <laughs> and then, just to add insult to injury, while in prison, you remember, he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. Important dreams. They had significant uh, consequences in the lives of both. One was restored to the service of the Pharaoh and the other was executed. God received glory from Joseph in his ability to interpret the dream. And so after interpreting their dreams, you remember he asked a small favor, remember me before the Pharaoh when you are restored to your position. It didn't happen. Two years, two more years, Joseph sat in that prison and he didn't deserve to be there. Two years, a long time. When you're 18, two years when you (laughs) reach 60 goes by in a day. (laughs) But at 18 years old, that was a long time. And again, can't a fella catch a break? No. God, I, 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 gave you, I gave you glory for, for my ability to interpret dreams. And so I wonder if, if it's at this point in the story, which maybe is also our story in some ways, if we're willing to ask that other question, what do I, what do I learn about the, the brokenness of humanity in this story? Well, we're reminded that, that humanity is a mess. That, that 
people that we think we know don't always do what we think they're going to do. Things happen which are beyond our control. We, we inflict pain on others, sometimes intentionally, unintentionally. Others inflict it on us. We might deserve it. Many times it happens and we're innocent. The cause and effect, the actions and consequences that, that we sort of like to think along in terms of how things unfold in life, they just don't always play out the way that they ought to. I think it's why the psalmist time and time again says, why do the wicked prosper? We're down here trying to live for you, God, and look at what they're doing. But I also think that in those times when we find ourselves in those places, perhaps in those, those prisons that result from all of the brokenness and the lies and the betrayals, we need to ask that second question, what do I learn about God? What am I learning about God? What is God doing in this story? And be reminded that he is with us all the time in every situation, at every moment. But, that's an important but. But that may not change the circumstances. So important to remember that. He is with us, but it may not change the situation. I may not see immediate improvement. Are we okay with that? Can I, can we appreciate God's ability to bring good from bad, to redeem the mess of life both in me and around me, even if he does not release me when I want from the circumstances that are causing the redemption and the growth in me. Does that make sense? So, in response to that, here's something I think that's really helpful for me to remember. Maybe it's good for you as well. When Joseph had this conversation with his brothers... All of this stuff had already happened. When Joseph spoke those words about God intending for good, all of the evil that had happened to him, he was looking back. I think it's reasonable to assume that he didn't know in advance how these things were going to turn out. But what we learn from Joseph is that he trusted God while he was in the midst of them. And and that is why these stories are so important for us, friends. They remind us that God is always with us, even when things are not going the way that we think they should. Ever have that happen in your life? Things just kind of out of control, not going the way that you think they ought to? How intimately involved in the circumstances of our lives is God? The Joseph story reminds us that He's in it all. He is sovereign over the lies that are told, over the plans that are hatched for betrayal and pain and suffering. He is 
He is in control over the temptations that come into our lives that make us want to sell out and do something that is going to dishonor him. The stories remind us of God's faithfulness. They remind us of how broken humanity is, and we're a part of it, and how amazing God is in his faithfulness to to grow us in those circumstances and to redeem things for his glory. I, I I was struck with the idea that times of, of struggle and times of, of wrestling are the times, I think, if we're willing to press into those and to cry out to him and to trust him, those are the times that, that we're going to, to grow the most. And I think in that growth have the opportunity to experience his faithful character. Because those are the times when we must believe it the most because those are the times that we have to trust him the most. Does that make sense? When, when life's easy, I forget that life can be hard. And when life is hard, then I remember that life can be easy, but I don't really have any control over that. And so where do I place my trust in those times? Believe that he is there. And, and bringing good from the painful circumstances, hard circumstances, because that is what he does. That is what he promises. Zach mentioned Romans 8. Paul told the believers in Rome, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is always at work in the lives of his people, molding and shaping and using. Circumstances aren't lost on him. He's never surprised. He never has to come up with an alternative plan because we didn't do what we were supposed to do. He just wades into the midst of the mess, which is exactly what Jesus did in his life. Paul told the Philippians he, he, he put on humanity. He rolled up his sleeves and he became a servant and he, he walked among us and, and he lived the life that we live. God continues on a daily basis to just wade into the midst of the circumstances. Redeeming and, and working for the good of those who love him and ultimately for his glory through them. And so how do we know? How do we know? Through the stories. The stories remind us. The stories remind us, those who have gone before us. You know, the problems of the human race don't really change much. You look at the stories and and you realize, wow, people were struggling with the same kinds of things that they struggle with today. Sin is pretty much similar from culture to culture to culture through through the generations and through the centuries. And so we look at those Old Testament stories and and we realize that, that their experiences are our experiences. Their stories are our experiences. Their God is our God. 
faithful to them in the midst of it all, faithful to us in the midst of it all. The challenge is to, to trust and to push on and to believe. So praise team, why don't you head this way and let me close with a story which I think really illustrates some neat stuff here that we've been talking about. Uh, Philip Yancey, in a Christianity Today article some years ago, writes this story. He says, In high school, I took pride in my ability to play chess. I joined the chess club. During lunch hour, could be found sitting at a table with other nerds, poring over books with titles like Classic King Pawn Openings. I studied techniques, won most of my matches, and put the game aside for 20 years. Then one day... I met a truly fine chess player who had been perfecting his skills long since high school. When we played a few matches, I learned what it is like to play against a master. Any classic offense I tried, he countered with a classic defense. If I turned to more risky, unorthodox techniques, he incorporated my bold forays into his winning strategies. Although I had complete freedom to make any move that I wished, I soon reached the conclusion that none of my strategies mattered very much. His superior skill guaranteed that my purposes inevitably ended up serving his own. Perhaps God engages our universe, his own creation, in much the same way. He grants us freedom to rebel against its original design, but even as we do so, we end up ironically serving his eventual goal of restoration. If I accept that blueprint, which is a huge step of faith, I confess, It transforms how I view both good and bad things that happen. Good things, such as health, talent, and money, I can present to God as offerings to serve His purposes. And bad things, disability, poverty, family dysfunction, failures, well, they can be redeemed as the very instruments that drive me to God. Amen.